You're listening to Wadcast, a podcast from Wadham College, University of Oxford, bringing you interviews, seminars and stories from our community. Welcome to episode 11. This year marks the 410th anniversary since Wadham's chapel opened. Our chaplain, Jane Bowne, has been very busy this past term, marking the occasion with exhibitions, festivities and talks. We were privileged to have former Archbishop and, more importantly, Wadham alumnus, Rowan Williams give a short address at a special evensong. It was recorded and, well, here it is. Many thanks to Bishop Rowan for his time and we hope you enjoy it. first task is to wish the chapel happy birthday and many happy returns. To say that this is a happy return for me, certainly, to what's already been described as the scene of my greatest triumphs. (laughs) Thank you to Jane, thank you to the college community for their welcome. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. When the Roman Empire persecuted the early Christians, they did so mostly on the grounds that Christians were atheists. That's to say, Christians didn't understand about the gods, and they treated the gods so clumsily and tactlessly that the gods were liable to get very angry indeed with the Roman Empire, which is why it was not a good idea to have a lot of active Christians around in the empire, it was not only bad for public morale, but very bad indeed for PR with the heavenly hosts. What, after all, did Christians get up to? They didn't behave with their God as sensible people did. Sensible people knew that gods, all sorts of them, lived in particular places, and if you were treating them sensibly, you'd build them a nice, comfortable house that you could visit from time to time. Gods lived in houses. That's what temples were for. You might gather outside those houses and sacrifice and have a generally good time, but the point of the temple was to house the god. Where were Christian temples? Nowhere to be seen. What did Christians do? Heaven only knows. But they seemed to meet on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings in squalid top-floor flats to do goodness knows what. They were said to perform appalling things, to eat flesh and drink blood. Who could trust people like that? You really needed to get them out of the way because they didn't understand about God. Christians were bad enough, but then actually so were Jews. Jews at least had a temple. Just the one, apparently, in Jerusalem, a very spectacular building. But one of the stories we're told about Roman bafflement over Jewish religion 
is the story of how Caesar's rival Pompey, in his journeying through what was then Syria, arrived in Jerusalem and forced his way into the innermost sanctuary of the Jerusalem temple, expecting to find what you would normally find in a well-appointed sanctuary. That is, lots of valuable gifts and a statue. What did he find in the sanctuary at Jerusalem? A rather elderly wooden box and nothing else. What was it then about Christians and Jews that pushed them into this extraordinarily irreverent and irregular behavior which seemed to take no account of the gods, what they needed, what kept them happy, where they needed to live, what you needed to say to them. Jews and Christians believed in God in a different way. They didn't simply believe in a different God. They believed that their encounter with God was an encounter not with a power, a presence, rather like theirs, only bigger, but something like being projected into an unimaginably larger world. In the Old Testament, when Solomon dedicates the temple in Jerusalem, he says, we know perfectly well that heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. This is not a house for you to retire to with a dog in a patch of garden. This is simply a space through which we human beings may glimpse a limitless, unborn, unending reality in whose presence we are changed. Christians inherited that vision, or you might say non-vision, of God. The God that Christians worshipped was not a God who lived in houses made by hands. We read that again in the pages of the New Testament. Those houses made by hands where Christians might meet to encounter God were passageways into the new landscape where people thought and felt and saw differently. That's why it's significant in both Hebrew and Christian scripture that great moments of crisis and transition tend to happen out in the desert. That featureless space with no buildings, no houses, no dogs and no back gardens. Out under the infinity of the sky, Jews and Christians understood that the God they worshipped was never to be contained, but rather that his life reached out to embrace them. Jacob, in our Old Testament lesson, is running away from home. He doesn't know what his future holds. He has mortally offended probably every other member of his family. His future looks bleak. He lies down in a desert place. He pillows his head on a rock. And he finds that this place 
is God's place. Not because there's a little marker around it saying, God's place, but because, well, you might say, because God. Because this is where he is to meet the presence that will begin to transform his identity and the identity of all those around him. He rises from his dream of God and the angels and says, the Lord was here in this place and I did not know it. Or as we might translate it, I'd never have guessed it. But listen also to the way in which the resurrection story is told in our New Testament lesson tonight. Once again, at the heart of everything is an empty space. Where the body of Jesus is meant to be, there is a gap, a doorway, a passage into something new. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? The angels say to the women of the tomb. Who are you looking for, says Jesus to Mary Magdalene. Don't cling to me, he says. I am on my way into the heart of the mystery. And you can't hold on to me and contain me and make a little house for me. Why then should we celebrate any building, you might say? Simply because we need signs of passage. Signs that take us in one way or another from a habitual world into something larger. That take us from our habitual self and our pictures of ourself into something larger. That take us from our pictures of God to something larger and more uncontrollable. The worst thing we could ever do with places of worship is to suppose that they are where God is contained rather than that they are the passageway into an uncontainable and therefore quite risky and demanding larger world. When we give thanks for any place of worship, this chapel, a Quaker meeting house, St. Peter's in Rome, wherever, we give thanks that it has been a place of passage. music you've heard in this episode is Wadham's own choir, so shout out to our wonderful choir and to Katie Pardy, our chapel music director who is sadly leaving us after 20 years at Wadham. Our best wishes for her next chapter. <laughs>